everybody loves a comeback. That's what we're looking at today in John 21 in your Bibles. If you'll turn there, and we're going to get there in just a moment in the pew Bible, that little black Bible behind you uh, or in front of you, uh, it's on page 902. John 21, we're going to look at verses 12 through 17 together, but I want the whole context to be set. But everybody loves a comeback because everybody in some way or another has been a failure. Everybody in some way or another has been defeated. This week I, I was uh, told about that Field of Dreams game. You saw, did you see that the, between the Yankees and the White Sox? And, and I watched a little bit of that last night in replay, and, and I was thankful for the guy who told me about that because the, the White Sox came back in the bottom of the 11th, or, what a, or bottom of the what, last inning, ninth inning, and it was a perfect inning to a Field of Dreams kind of game because it was back and forth and back and forth. But we think about more than baseball today. We think about our lives. And we think about how we have certain things that just haunt us or struggles or, or failures that, that need to be dealt with in one way, shape, form. Something always tends to remind us of stuff. A junk. You remember the Apostle Paul had this thorn in his flesh? And we don't know exactly what that thorn was. In 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about that, how he prayed and pleaded with God that that thorn be removed. Some people think that was a, a woman. I didn't make that up. That's what the theologians say. Some people think it was, a, it was his enemy. Some people think it was some physical malady, like maybe his, his blindness, his eyesight. But whatever it was, it wasn't listed specifically because every one of us, has some thorns. Teachers, you're going to go back to school and there's going to be a thorn in your flesh. Some student, my mother used to call them pills because she had to take a pill every day. You know, you go to school teaching those. They're difficult students or difficult uh, people that you have to work with or, or whatever it is. There's a thorn in your flesh. But, but Paul says, here's what Jesus told him after he prayed over and over again for it to be removed. He said, no. There's something better than thorn removal. There's something better than pain elimination. It's called grace. And he said, Jesus says to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Remember, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so little ones to him belong. They are weak. But he is strong. You know what God wants from us more than anything else, I'm convinced, is our dependence upon him. He wants us to be a part of his family and to depend upon him. And if dependence is the goal, then weakness is an advantage. You might write that down. It's not mine originally, but I've clung to that. When we fall and we falter and we fail, there's opportunity for God in the breaking bus to remake us into the servants and the people he wants us to be. And that's what we see in this story in John 21, this true life drama between Peter and Jesus. 
And so as we look at this, I'll give you a little context and to kind of prepare the way for this, I want to share a poem with you called, And God Said If. Would you follow along on the screen with me? And God said if. If you never felt pain, then how would you know that I'm a healer? If you never went through difficulty, how would you know that I'm a deliverer? If you never had a trial, how could you call yourself an overcomer? If you never felt sadness, how would you know that I'm a comforter? If you never made a mistake, how would you know that I'm forgiving? If you never were in trouble, how would you know that I come to to your rescue? If you never were broken, then how would you know that I can make you whole? You never had a problem? How would you know that I can solve them? If you never had any suffering, then how would you know what I went through? If you never went through the fire, then how would you become pure? If I gave you all things, how would you appreciate them? If I never corrected you, how would you know that I love you? If you had all power, then how would you learn to depend on me? And if your life was perfect, then what would you need me for? The truth is, none of our lives are perfect, are they? And we need Him. So would you stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word in John 21 as we look at this encounter with Peter on the beach having breakfast together with the other disciples, but really focus in on Peter. Remember, Peter says, after he had failed Jesus, after he had denied him, I'm going fishing and six other disciples went with him and they fished all night and didn't catch a thing. Jesus meets them in the early morning. They don't recognize him because he's about 100 yards away. And he says, have you caught anything? And they say, no. They have to come face to face with another failure, another failed night fishing. And Jesus says, do it my way. Cast your nets on the right side. And see what you find. And the nets were full of 153 fish. Now what significance is that? I don't know. I don't think anything is really significant. People have tried to make a lot of that over the years. I think All I think is that it was an eyewitness account and someone was counting. But the disciples knew when their nets were full that they'd seen this before. Luke 5. When, they, when he first called him, Peter says, get away from me because I'm unclean. I don't deserve to be in your presence. When Jesus made their nets full of fish there at the beginning, and he does it again, and they see him. Then they come to shore. Peter had already swam before the others, and they had breakfast. Now look at it. Verse 12, John 21. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish, and this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more 
than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we know some of the foolish things that we have done. Lord, we know we're no better than Peter, for sure. Lord, we know that there have been opportunities that we've missed and we failed you. We know that we've done things in our businesses, in our families, in our day-to-day living that have not glorified your name. We've failed you. Lord, we know there have been lots and lots and lots of days where we've just not even thought about you not loved you, been apathetic to our faith in you. Lord, we don't want to be that way. So Lord, teach us and change us by the power of your Spirit even now as we look at the truth of what you do, Jesus, when we fail you. Use us, Father, for your glory. In your holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to reflect on the last line of that poem for just a moment. If your life was perfect, then what would you need me for, God says. If your life was perfect, why in the world would you need Jesus? And in this section, we're going to look at at Peter and how different he is in this scene than he is in most of the Gospels. There's a a before and after picture of Peter that we need to take note of. Before Jesus, before he fails Jesus, Peter is this this brash, this brave, uh, this bold sort of take charge leader. He's strong and and he's decisive and, and he knows what needs to be done and how to do it. And I wonder if he thinks he's not... Jesus' gift to the disciples, that Jesus the King is going to need someone like him, someone who's going to take charge, someone who's going to make things happen by his sheer willpower and force of his will upon other folks. But then he fails. Remember in the upper room how he failed? Jesus wants to wash the disciples' feet, and Peter says no. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't have anything to do with me. He said, wash me, all of me. And he, he fails there. You remember how Peter fails when Jesus is telling them he's going to have to suffer and die? And Peter says, 
No, no, that's not going to happen. And if you do, I will go with you to the very end. I'll never desert you. Even if everyone else in this place deserts you, I'm not going to fall away from you. Even if I have to go to prison, even if I have to die. And then he acts like a coward in the presence of a little girl around a little charcoal fire in the courtyard. Even before the courtyard, he fails Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he thinks he's going to take on all the, those soldiers and pulls out his sword and cuts off Malchus, the high priest's servant's ear. He fails Jesus, and Jesus is praying that great prayer, not, Father, not my will, but thy will be done, and Peter is sleeping, and there Jesus calls him again, Simon, could you not watch with me one hour? Why are you sleeping? But it's in the courtyard when they say, weren't you with him? Don't you know him? Aren't you a Galilean? When Peter fulfills what Jesus had said would happen, before the, the rooster crowed, he'd deny him three times. Now, just think about that for a moment. How serious that is. And when we deny Jesus, we, we miss out on the joy and, and the assurance. And we miss out on a, a fellowship relationship with him. That's what sin does to us. But that's also sin also drives us away from the people of God. And I don't know where Peter goes when, after he denies Jesus, but we have no knowledge of him being there at the crucial moment of Jesus' life and ministry on the cross, at the crucifixion, he's absent. The only apostle we know that was present was the apostle John because Jesus says he commits his mother to the apostle John. Peter's not there, and neither are the others. Where are they? We don't know. But we do know when Jesus whips death and comes back to life, after Jesus had suffered for the sins of the world, yours and mine and Peter and all the other apostles, that Jesus goes and finds those apostles. And he meets with Peter. There's some occurrences that tell us that Jesus runs them down. He reconnects with them. That's what Jesus does with those who fail. The first thing on your outline on the bulletin, if you're following along with us on that little gray a sheet on the back is that Jesus reconnects with those who fail him. You remember the scene at the resurrection. Jesus tells the women to go tell the apostles and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter in Mark 16, 7. So he sends for Peter. I wonder if Peter's thinking, well, am I not one of the apostles? Am I not one of the disciples anymore? Am I now a traitor that he has to identify me specifically, that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is reminding Peter that there's another chance. There's always another chance. A second chance, a third chance. It, praise the Lord. When I was 15, I went to a summer camp at Glorietta, and the preacher uh, 
Rick Owsley was his, and I still remember this vividly because that was when I was called to the ministry. I ran from that for several years after that, but he preached on, on Rocky. Remember Rocky? Some of you are old enough to remember Rocky and how he kept getting knocked down and kept getting back up and kept getting knocked down and kept getting back up, and that spoke to my heart because at 15, I had already done a bunch of sinning, and I'd already strayed a long way away from the Lord. He reminded me that Jesus gives us another chance and that Jesus pursues us. And if he did not, then who in the world could ever be used by the almighty hand of God because every one of us in this place are in the same boat. We've all failed him in one way, shape, or form. and We've all failed him, some of us through divorce. And you know the pain of all of that. Some of us through adultery, but some of us just through fear and anxiety and unfaithfulness and apathy, some in big ways, some in small ways, but we've all failed him. So we all need this lesson that Jesus calls for us, sends for us, and reconnects us. That's what he does. He meets with Peter as well before this occurrence on the beach. This is the third time he met with the disciples. But it tells us in Luke uh, 24, 54, it's true, the resurrection occurrence. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon in 1 Corinthians 15, 4 and 5. tells us that as well, that Jesus had some kind of private meeting with Simon Peter. By the way, remember Jesus renamed Simon? Peter, and you know Peter, means rock. But every time Jesus wants to rebuke him or correct him or discipline him, he almost always goes back to the name Simon because he's not acting like a rock. He's not solid. Jesus, I think, names him Peter because he wants to, to raise the level of his faith and his commitment. He needs him to be solid in the work of the early church, and so he calls him rock in order to raise the level of expectation. It's like, I don't know if you remember a guy named Oral Hershiser. He was just a skinny pitcher. Tommy Lasorda recognized how he lacked courageous, and he nicknamed him Bulldog, and then Oral Hershiser started to pitch like a bulldog. Well, much more than that is what's going on with Jesus and his renaming of Peter. But Peter's not acting like that rock anymore. And so in this instant, he says, Simon. I wonder if Peter just dreaded hearing Simon out of the, out of the mouth of the Lord, knowing he needed correcting. Or I wonder if he was humble enough to hear that and say, okay, I'm listening, Lord. I need what you have to remake me and remold me into who you want me to be. Because I think this scene here redefines who Peter is. You know, we change when we come to Christ. We're new creations, but we still have a lot of our old personalities, a lot of our old habits, a lot of our old hang-ups to overcome. But God uses our personality, and I think that's what he's doing with, with Peter here. He's redirecting Peter's personality for his own 
purposes. Before he does all of that, he's got to, to challenge Peter in his, his priorities. Here's how the encounter goes. And it, I, I'm not a, an expert in Greek. I know a little enough to get me in trouble. But in the Greek, it, it makes a lot of sense here. And so I, I just want you to hear it that way. You, there are basically three words for love in Greek. You know those words, probably, if you've been to church any time. Agape, uh, phileo, and eros is the er erotic kind of love. We're not going to focus on that one so much, but the other two kinds of, of love are used here. When Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Jesus uses the word for unconditional, sacrificial love, agape, a godly sort of covenant love. Peter, do you love me wholeheartedly? Are you all in with me? And Peter responds with a, a, a softer, lesser word, phileo. Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I love you. I love, I admire you. I appreciate you. I have this strong affection for you. I have this brotherly love for you. Now, here's the, the big question for me, and we can't answer it definitively. But when Jesus, there's some, some changes, some differences in these three questions. He, he repeats the question, but it's, it's a little nuanced. He says, do you love me more than these? What are the these? What are the these? Well, if you know anything about Peter, you know he's always at the forefront of the disciples, the apostles. He's always taking the lead. And so that very well could be the these. Jesus looking around, do you love me more than these other apostles? Apostles love me? And Peter would say, yes, of course. I love you. I'm the leader here more than these. Or Jesus may be saying, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than you love your brothers, the other apostles? That might be the these. But there's another th thought here. Remember, they'd just been fishing. they just failed at that. And, and Jesus may be saying, do you love me more than these, more than the nets, more than the boats, more than the fish, more than your old way of life? Do you love me more than these? And Peter responds, yes, I love you. Jesus drives home the point of the priority of love. If Peter is going to really do what he said he was going to do, if he's going to lay down his life for Jesus then he's got to understand that the love becomes primary. So Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter responds again, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And then the third time he says, Jesus says this, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you really love me like a brother? Do you admire me? Do you have this brotherly love for me? And Peter responds, Lord, you know all things things. There was a day when Peter thought he knew himself better than Jesus knew him. There was a day when Peter set his own way, his own agenda. By the way, what's, you know what the difference between you doing things for the Lord and the Lord sending you to do things and do things? The difference is results. Peter goes to fish on his own because he doesn't know what else to do. Jesus tells him how to fish. The fisherman tells, or Jesus tells the fisherman how to fish. 
because Jesus is the one that knows even more than the fishermen. Jesus knows more science than the scientists. Jesus knows more uh, how to teach than the teacher. We look to him for everything because he's the creator of it all. And in this, this moment, Peter is declaring, you are omniscient. You know it all. You know all things. He's submitting himself to the Lord. But he uses a different word for the next part of that last verse. You know. It's a word not omniscient. That means omniscient. It's a word that knows you. A, a personal, intimate experience or relationship with someone. You know, Spanish. I know very little Spanish, but I know the difference between saber and conocer. Anybody know Spanish in this place? You know the difference between Sabia and Conocer. Come on, Melinda Gonzalez, help me out here a little bit. You know, you know that. The difference is they're, they're both words for to know, but uh, Sabia is, is an object, a fact, a, a statement, to know something solid, right? Am I right about this? Conocer is to know somebody experientially, experientially, in a personal relationship. And this Greek word that Peter uses here, Lord, you... You know that I love you is related to that Spanish word for relationship. You know I love you because of my relationship with you. See what Peter's longing for? And what Jesus is offering is a restored relationship with him. A love relationship before we serve, before we give ourselves to kingdom work. We've got to give ourselves to the king. We've got to love him. First and foremost, and Jesus is challenging his priorities. The third thing he does with those who fail him is he reinstates Peter to his purposes. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. What's he calling him to? He's calling him to serve. Love happens first. You love the Lord, then the service comes after that. Otherwise, you burn out. Otherwise, you're puffed up with pride because of what you're doing for the Lord. But when you love the Lord and what you do flows out of that. And that's how he's designed it. That's how he wants it. So today, as you think about all that God has done for you, if you don't know him, today can be the day when the rest of this passage is complete. You see, what happens after this is the same thing that happens in the beginning when Jesus calls Peter. In verse 19, Jesus said to just to let him know by what kind of death he was going to be glorified. He said, your arms are going to be stretched out, and Peter's going to be crucified like Jesus was crucified. And Eusebius, the church historian, tells us that Peter didn't think he deserved to be crucified that way, so he asked to be crucified upside down. His arms would be stretched out, and he'd give his life for his, his Lord. And Jesus said, this is to let you know by what kind of death you would glorify God. And then Jesus gave him these two simple words. 
that continued to change his life and will change yours. And all your mistakes, get caught up in them. And all your failures, and all your missed opportunities, and all your shame, and all your guilt, and all your regrets, as you do these words, follow me. How's that going? How are you following? Maybe you've never entered into a relationship with him at all. Today can be the day when you answer the call. You realize you need him. You can't do it on your own. You've tried long enough. You're miserable. You feel the guilt and the shame of your mistakes. Today can be the day when you believe that those mistakes were paid for on the cross once and for all, nailed to the cross. Jesus took your place. Today can be the day where you choose. You choose to follow him. You've never done that. And if you have done that, then who are you helping? Who are you helping to know that they too can be restored to the service of the Lord? Can you recognize? I'm sure Peter felt like, what good can I be to the Lord? Before this instance, you know why Jesus repeats that three times. Because around that charcoal fire the first time in the courtyard, Peter had denied him three times. And around that charcoal fire on the beach the second time, Peter is reinstated three times by the Lord. He wants Peter to declare before those other six apostles who were there what Peter believes about his own faith. You know, Lord, I love you. It may not be agape yet, but I'm in the process. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trusting you, Lord, with my life. I'm giving you my attention and my affection. And Peter follows. How do we know? The next book in your Bible, the book of Acts, first 12 chapters focus on Peter. There's that scene at Pentecost where God uses Peter powerfully. And no doubt it's God working through Peter and 3,000 are added to the church that day and the church begins to explode because of the power of the Holy Spirit. The difference for Peter was that now he had God in him. And you do too if you're a believer. And if you're not, you can. The difference for Peter is that he's now following again. Does he fail even after he follows again? Yes, he does. But he gets up. He gets up and goes again. And that may be where you need to be. Just get up and go again. Get up and go again. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us make you our top priority, Lord. There's so many things that grab us in this world. So many. Lord, our, our 
jobs and trying to make a living and our busyness and trying to manage our finances and all sorts of things, Lord, that just won't last. Lord, even good things, working on our marriage and working on our parenting and all those things that we know are so vital to being good kingdom people can distract us from you. Lord, in these moments, would you remind us in our failure that it's your desire that we come back to you and that you in your love and your grace and your mercy continue to pursue us. That it was you, Jesus, who showed up on that beach for Peter and the others' benefit. You didn't leave them. You didn't forsake them. You didn't abandon them. Their mistakes weren't final. Oh, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray that in this moment, that the people in this place experience and understand how good and gracious, forgiving, kind you are. But how also, Lord, you are calling all of us, especially us, those of us who believe to a higher level of commitment and holiness and pursuing things that last, eternal things, kingdom things. Oh, Father, thank you for your love through Jesus. Help us, Father, to love you in return. In your holy name we pray. Amen.